I think the thing that I learned uh, is that that therapeutic value extends to the person who volunteers and offers to support a program like this. Uh, people are very kind and thank me for what I do in this program. And I struggle to explain to them that it's very good for me too. That was Jerry Lorang, the regional coordinator of Project Healing Waters, talking about the benefits he gets out of the program. This is episode number 50 of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. In today's episode, I interview Jerry Lorang, a lead in the Northwest for Project Healing Waters. We talk about how the program came to be and is now leading the world serving injured veterans by way of fly fishing. Jerry talks about how he got involved, how you can as well, and the journey of a veteran who gets started and works his way through the program. Plus, a nice tri- uh, short trip uh, to Montana. Talked about how this, how that journey went, and a lot of the people along the way. Before I get into the episode today, I wanted to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Ascent Fly Fishing has a special event during the holiday season called Fishmas. You get twenty-five to seventy-five percent off all flies of selected uh, categories each day during the twelve days of Fishmas, starting on December sixth. Go to AscentFlyFishing.com to find out more. That's A-S-C-E-N-T FlyFishing.com. We are also brought to you by the original tie right, which holds flies and hooks securely so you can tie your fly on with little effort. The uh, tie right senior holds hook sizes 2 through 14, and the junior holds hook sizes 14 through 24. Tie right can help you tie clinch, knot, uh, clinch knots and modify clinch knots and many other knots to suit your needs. Head over to TieRight.com and get started today. That's ty-rite.com. So, without further ado, here's Jerry Lorang from Project Healing Waters. How's it going, Jerry? It's going great. I'm glad to talk to you. Good. Good to have you on. Uh, we've been chatting a little while trying to set this up, and we had, uh, originally we were going to have, I think, talked about maybe having my uh, long lost, uh, or not long lost, but distant cousin on, but he wasn't able to make it, and we'll get into a little bit of that. Uh, later, but um, yeah, I was hoping we were going to talk about Project Healing Waters and you know everything you, you have going and what you do there. Um, but before we get started, maybe you just talk about how you got into fly fishing and then you know how you brought that up to where you are today. Uh, okay, uh, I started fly fishing uh, at age forty. A friend of mine was retiring from. Uh, work and I asked him what he was going to do in retirement and he said he's going to learn to fly fish and I said how do you do that and he said why don't you join me in a class so so I took a class at age 40 and uh, began fly fishing that was in uh, the Washington DC area and I fished the um, uh, the, the couple of rivers out there for bass and then uh, didn't fish for a whole lot until I was able to move to the Portland Oregon area where uh, fishing is so much easier and so much better. Yeah, is, is it? Oregon, uh, this area is a lot better than Washington, D.C.? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it should be pretty easy to imagine why. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm uh, trying to think now. I, I, I interviewed, um, I've had at least one D.C. guest on from actually another fellow podcaster 
Um, trying to look at the episode here, but uh, yeah, it was interesting because he is a guide over there in DC, and uh, and he was talking about how he travels. I think he said it was something crazy, like you know, just a long distance just to get to his home waters. I think it was like twelve hours or something like that. Well, there's wonderful, famous water not uh, you know two hours away in Pennsylvania. Some of the stuff that where fly fishing began in the United States, but uh, even that's not an easy trip to get in and out of Washington, D.C. So, uh, yeah, I didn't do a whole lot of fishing. Plus, I was working full time and it kept me from being uh, as active as a fly fisher as I would like. Gotcha. gotcha. Around, yeah, I moved around a little bit in my career. And in the course of that moving around, I didn't fish very much. But uh, upon reaching Portland, Oregon, I got a chance to fish more. And then uh, 11 years ago, I retired. And uh, after retirement, I wanted to immerse myself in fly fishing more, went to a club meeting. Uh, and at that club meeting, I met a fellow who had served in Vietnam and uh, uh, Richard Twarog, for that matter, who I you may know him. He's a, a wonderful fly fisher and fly tire and uh, international kind of fellow who lives down in Salem, Oregon. And uh, he talked me into going to lunch with him three times. And at the end of three lunches, I was involved in Project Healing Waters. Mm, cool. So that's how it happened. Yeah, I was just I just reminded there or just took a look. It was episode 12 where I had uh, Rob Snow White on um, ah. about the D.C. stuff. So you can uh, anybody can take a look at that uh, that episode. But, yeah, no, that's that's cool. So you I love hearing these stories on, you know, getting started a little bit later, you know, at 40. What, um, you know, can you tell me more about what that felt like? And I'm not sure how old you are now, but um, just that process of getting started a little bit later in life and, and how, you know, how you kind of just got into it. Can you explain how that all felt and how that came to be? Uh, yeah, I, I, I've always looked for opportunities to learn. It's been a, a fun process to live that way. But uh, at 67, where I am now, uh, I look back on uh, age 40 and uh, I realized that I was in the deep end of the pool and I had forgotten how to learn how to swim. <laughs> uh there, what I had around me were wonderful people who had fished uh, all of their lives. I, I did very little fishing up to that point. And so people who had fished all of their lives and uh, fly fished in particular were generous to offer to help me and support me in learning. Uh, and so I got to do the kind of things I think that everyone does when they start. You know, I, I bought a $19 Shakespeare and went out to the city pond and thrashed the water and started learning. And so it was uh, just kind of jumping in late in life that way. I envy, and still to this day, envy the folks who started when they were uh, five years old and can speak to experiences that I'll never be able to get because I don't have that much time in my life. Uh, yeah. But it, it's been one of the, one of my experiences is that uh, fly fishers are very generous with their support and opportunities. If you show any real interest in uh, learning and growing, uh, they're perfectly willing to help. Uh, one of the, the door openers for me was, as I said, 11 years ago, I got involved in Project Healing Waters and speaking with individuals about the uh, therapeutic benefits of fly fishing uh, isn't hard at all for someone who's fly fished. I, I don't have to explain it to someone who is a fly fisher. Mm -hmm. They all understand the ther therapeutic value. And so uh, approaching them with the concept that we would bring 
disabled veterans to the water uh, or to the table to learn to tie flies um, was very easy. And uh, they've been exceedingly generous with their support and help. Hmm. When I say they, I'm, I'm speaking to the whole community of fly fishers. It's been extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... I kind of resonate with the five-year-old. That was uh, pretty much, I think, when I started getting into it. And uh, but the cool thing is, is you know, I mean, there are a ton of people out there that are better fly fishers and better fly tires than me. You know, and I've been doing it all my life, so it's pretty amazing. I mean, I know we've talked on this show about people that just started tying flies, you know, a, a couple of years ago, and now they've got some of the the most beautiful flies on Instagram and stuff like that. So, you know, it's cool. Even that, that's, I think is what, what's great about fly fishing is that you can start at any time, you know, and a lot of these guys like with project healing waters are, are getting started a little bit later as well, but they're, you know, seeing the benefits from, um, you know, everything that's going on. Uh, from your example, uh, you started, you suggested you started when you're five years old and you're still learning uh, I think that's one of the most exciting parts of the sport is that uh, any one of us who thinks they've got it mastered is crazy. Yep. Yep. That's, that's what we all love about it. We know if we wanted to, if we wanted to just catch fish, we'd probably grab a spin rod and, and, and a lure. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the other thing that I found, uh, and, and I, I'll speak to the therapeutic value of all of this, is that for each individual, there's a facet of fly fishing that is uh, meaningful to them. So uh, as we bring veterans into the sport, there are individuals who are fascinated when they can put a fly line in the air and they can spend all day with their fly line in the air, never put a fly on the water because it's such a captivating experience to cast a fly. At the same token, there's the person who has to have the fly on the water and will spend all day focusing intently on whether the fish is going to bite that fly or not. And then there's the other fellow who is sitting at a table tying a fly and never needs to go out and put that fly on the water. And all of them are gaining that therapeutic value. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, t- I totally agree. That's good. Well, we've talked a little bit, it just uh, touched the surface on the project healing waters, uh, fly fishing. Um, and, uh, but I want to dig in a little more, I guess you probably know since you're the, I guess the program lead for like Portland, the Northwest regional deputy, um, you know, you're in it, you're involved in it. I mean, can you talk about a little bit how the whole project, you know, the program started from the beginning and, you know, who was there and how far it's grown? Because now it pretty much, I'm not sure if it's an international thing, but at least people are all around the country, right? Uh, Yeah, it is uh, easy to say that it's national. There are over 200 programs uh, active at this time. But if I were to start at the um, earliest history that I can speak to, uh, uh, post-World War II, there were a number of um, hospitals and uh, domiciliaries, facilities where they could house veterans who were recovering. And one of them was in uh, the Midwest, actually North Midwest. I want to say Wisconsin, but it may have been Michigan. And there was an individual there who was not disabled, but was being treated by the VA at this time. And so he sat with other veterans who were receiving care. I wish I could remember the guy's name now. I apologize. But he sat and tied flies and taught the skill. And in the course of doing that, he taught a fellow who uh, wound up living in Salem for a while, a fellow named John Colburn. And John 
and Ed Nicholson were at a time together at um, Walter Reed in uh, the Washington, D.C. area where returning veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq were being treated. And both of them were there for their own health care issues. And they suggested to a couple of the individuals that they were visiting with that they would teach them to tie flies. And you would understand, and probably most of your listeners will understand, that, gee, you can't just tie a fly without putting it on the water and seeing if a fish will bite it. And so the program grew a little bit organically in that sense because they, the, the individuals who were tying flies then said, well, now I want to fish. Uh, they took them fishing and in the area. But Walter Reed is by design a place where individuals rehabilitate and go home. And as they left Walter Reed, they said, well, where do we go next? If Project Healing Waters exists at Walter Reed alone, then I have to come back to Walter Reed to do this program. And so they began to expand, and again, it was one of those things that it grew uh, in a very step-by-step process. Uh, I think the very first program at a VA facility was in Augusta, Maine. Um, But it it expanded over time, and now 11 years later, there are more than 200 programs. Most of those programs are affiliated with a uh, VA healthcare facility. probably two-thirds of them, and a good third of them are attached to military installations um, where returning soldiers and veterans gather. Uh, And so we try to locate ourselves at places where we can find uh, individuals who qualify for the services we provide. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now, so you took us back and you said, and what year was it when you were talking about the the tying, tying the flies when that first started? Uh, that would be post-World War II. That would be in the late 40s. Oh, wow. So a long time ago. Right. And and you couldn't find a trace of Project Healing Waters at that time, but the seed was planted with John Colburn, okay. who, who then grew that seed with Ed Nicholson, who actually has become, he's now uh, the retired uh, past CEO, president of okay. Project Healing Waters, and really the moving force that got this thing going. Ed's Ed's quite a character and, and high energy and still doing a lot of things um, for Project Healing Waters. But if you ask him, he says, I'm retired. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So those are the couple of the guys that were early on. And then, uh, yeah, it slowly uh, grew and developed. And now you guys are all around the country. And, and yeah, it's interesting to hear how it's slowly, uh, slowly developed into, you know, one of the biggest, most well-known, uh, you know, kind of programs around what do you think was the secret to the success? I mean, obviously, it's a amazing thing taking, you know, war veterans. Um, but it seems like it, I guess that's one thing I thought about it. I mean, it kind of, polit- politics kind of goes out the window with the, with this, doesn't it? You know, you, typically you have kind of the, the right and left, but it just seems like it doesn't matter, right, with the, with these guys, with the um, people that were injured and they're involved? Yeah, I, I don't want to try and take you back into a history that is, um, you know, post-Vietnam or the Vietnam era, uh, but in the period after Vietnam, there was a real effort made, and I'm proud to know that it's happened, to separate the warrior from the war. And so if there are political issues that cause persons to be um, concerned about the course of our uh, defense, they can certainly shed that concern and respect the individual who donned the uniform and stood on the ramparts. Yeah. 
Gotcha. And and, and to go back just a second, uh, it, while uh, war veterans is not an inappropriate way to describe the individuals, uh, Project Healing Waters in particular is dedicated to serving uh, disabled veterans, that is, those veterans who uh, served and were affected by their military service. And in some cases, that doesn't mean that they were necessarily in a war zone. Gotcha. Yeah, it could be uh, PTSD and other things. Exactly. Or it could be the result of an accident in training or something like that. It's it's anyone who has served and paid a price for uh, having served. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how does, <clears throat> so how would somebody, you know, if they were involved uh, in, you know, uh, if they were a disabled veteran, how does the whole process work? Like how would somebody find you guys and how, how do you make sure you don't, you're not missing people out there? <laughs> uh, you, you, you know, you've gotten to the heart of the issue uh, and I laugh a little bit because uh, I don't have the answer. I think what we're doing in this minute is probably a part of uh, how it works. There's, there's a, uh, without trying to get too deep here, uh, veterans affinity is a magical kind of thing. If you put veterans in a room, even if they don't know they're veterans, in pretty short order, they're going to know that they're veterans and they're going to be communicating in a way differently from others in the room. And I'm not sure I can explain that magic in a way other than I just did. Um, mm -hmm. So there is a word of mouth network that is very effective uh, for reaching veterans in the community. And when I say magic, it's because uh, when a per individual serves in the military and they return home, they melt into the community. You know, I would dare you to identify by looking at an individual whether or not they're a veteran. You can't tell. Mm -hmm. um, and women, you know, old, young, it's very hard to, to distinguish them. So finding veterans in the community can sometimes be a real challenge for a program like ours. It makes it easier for us if we attach ourselves to a VA healthcare facility or network. Uh, or if we connect ourselves to a military installation where there are active duty and uh, right. individuals. But that's been our most effective way of reaching the uh, broad community of veterans. And then I think most effectively for us, as you suggested earlier, probably Project Healing Motors is one of the best known uh, programs that does this kind of service. And they have been seen on national television. They've been seen on fly fishing programs. There's been features in fly fishing magazines. Uh, so there's been an awful lot of really nice exposure that puts the program out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the word of mouth, I think you hit it on the, on the button there because that's just like, whether it's business or whatever, I mean, word of mouth is the, <laughs> that's the most important piece because that shows you that you've got a good, a good product or program and people are just, spreading it yeah clearly uh for the individual who hears this broadcast and says hey i'd like to be a part of that i'm a disabled veteran or i know a disabled veteran who would benefit from something like this uh we have there there certainly is a website that tells you where the programs are near to your home uh there are uh, contact information for those individuals who are working in that area uh, there is no cost to the participant uh, there is no expectation that you're going to arrive at any of our events with uh, fully equipped. We provide the equipment. We provide the tools that you need and the instruction that you might need. And 
the expectation is that you will come away from working with us with a fundamental knowledge of fly fishing that gives you the opportunity to branch out in whatever good direction you want to go. Uh, if you want to join a local club, if you want to tie flies at home, if you want to stay with Project Healing Waters as a volunteer, all of those are great options. Hmm. Okay. And and so maybe you could take us into a little bit of that first, like you said, the first person comes in, they, they're listening to this podcast maybe or another show and, and they hear about it. So they connect with you guys at the website. What are the steps in taking them, whether they're tying flies or doing a fishing trip? And, and then maybe you can talk a little bit about like where, what trips, I mean, are you guys traveling around the country, destination type stuff? And then, you know, maybe follow that person along that, that kind of goes through the journey and maybe takes, goes through the entire program and, and then what happens you know, once they've been in it a while? Uh, I, I think the, the first step is just that, walk in the door. Uh, that sounds, I don't want to make it sound as simple as that, but there isn't much of a requirement other than figure out when your local program is holding either a workshop where they'll teach the techniques uh, for fly tying and fly fishing or look for an opportunity to fish uh, generally speaking, we don't just take people fishing and bring them home. I'm going to say this in a way that might sound derogatory, but it's the difference between our program and many other programs is that we're not just about taking you out fishing. We're going to stay with you and continue to work with you, and it's our ambition that we're not one and done. Um so if you show up and expect that we'll take you fishing and then you just go home, then you've lost the best part of the program that's available to you because it's our expectation that you'll come back and learn more and continue to grow in the sport. Mm -hmm. So this is a, yeah, I mean, this is pretty much a lifelong, a lifelong deal. Maybe this is a good uh, segment. Uh, we can kind of segment into talking about if we can a little bit about my uh, Mark um, who's, you know, I've known a long time, um, you know, I've had a connection through kind of family, I guess, a, a distant cousin. Um, I didn't even know he was involved in any of this. And maybe that's, uh, maybe that shows you, I don't know if that's my, um, you know, something where I just wasn't dialed into it or what it is, but maybe, can you talk a little bit about, uh, Mark and how he got involved and, um, maybe that would be a good, would that be a good example to talk about the program? Well, and I'm going to get technical with you for just a moment. There are uh, HIPAA rules that limit what I can say about any individual mm -hmm. without their permission. Sure. Uh, and, but for Mark's sake, he is a, a veteran, uh, and he's eligible for the program. And he came to us through the VA, uh, and, and I'm not exactly sure who he heard it from first, but someone said to him, hey, there's this program, and you're he, – he's – uh, like you of someone who had fly fished all his life. And so he came to Project Healing Waters with a ton of experience and a lot of enthusiasm for the sport and was, I think, very happy to enjoy the camaraderie and the interaction with fellow veterans as he learned, but more importantly, as he taught the skills of fly fishing to others. So he's been an asset to the program, and I certainly know that – I don't think I'm speaking out of turn at all to say that the program has been an asset to him. Um, and if he were here, he would talk 
on and on about the <laughs> brotherhood and the camaraderie and how much he's enjoyed that interaction. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that, and I think that says a lot about, um, about the program as well. The fact that not only are you teaching people that have never done it before, but somebody who has fished his whole life gets involved in it because of that, um, you know, that brotherhood, the group, the people, well, we all want to be part of a group groups, right? I mean, that's a big, a big part exactly. of just our, um, you know, our history. Um, sure. But, um, okay. You know, I'm, I'm going to suggest Dave that I should take a moment and say that we're not trained therapists and it's, so it's not our, um, it, it shouldn't be an individual's expectation that we're going to provide, uh, sophisticated, uh, medical, clinical kind of therapeutic treatment. Uh, instead, and I know that I'm speaking to an audience of fly fishers, instead I think it's understood from those of us who fly fish that it's it just is therapeutic. It's good to have that opportunity to focus on an individual kind of thing, be in the present moment, and at the same time, be in nature or be in the process of creating something like a fly that will catch a fish. Uh, those are all things that benefit the individual. Um, so I don't want anyone to misunderstand and think that we are um, a clinical therapeutic program. We're, we're about fly fishing. Mm -hmm. And then I like to say we're not really about fly fishing at all. But that's kind of the, the punchline to the joke. Mm-hmm. No, it's, uh, there's no question that, uh, it's therapeutic and probably, <laughs> probably does a lot more. Well, you, you guys have probably seen it, you know, as opposed to getting, um, you know, jacked up on a bunch of drugs for whatever. I mean, you're talking about being out in nature. That's a natural, that's your natural therapy. That's, that's pretty cool. What do you think is the one thing for you, maybe the biggest thing you've learned from Project Healing Waters? Uh -huh. Well, on top of a world of uh, knowledge about fly fishing that I couldn't have accessed otherwise, uh, which, I, as I suggested earlier, has been so generously offered to me and to the program, I think the thing that I learned uh, is that that therapeutic value extends to the person who volunteers and offers to support a program like this. Uh, People are very kind and thank me for what I do in this program. And I struggle to explain to them that it's very good for me too. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. You're uh, <laughs> that's well put. I mean, you can say all you want about, um, you know, helping people and all that, but that, you know, I, that's pretty cool. So if somebody wanted to get involved, you know, that they, they weren't a veteran, but they just wanted to help the organization, what, what would you tell them? Well, in the same way that I explained to, um, you know, to veterans who are interested in being a part of the program, uh, walk in the door, come see us. If you have some support that you can offer to the program, and I say some in the broadest sense, uh, we have had individuals who had very little fly fishing experience and really wanted to be exposed to the sport in some good way. Show up, come to a meeting, uh, come to one of our workshops uh, when I say meeting, I, I really want to say workshops where we teach the fundamentals. Uh, and if you find a place where you can help, help. If you don't find a place where you can help, ask. Mm -hmm. the, the, the door is always open. And we have had volunteers who come to us with very little in terms of fly fishing skills. 
And they're the ones who make sure that we have coffee and cookies and that sort of thing that, that makes the meeting all the better. But at the same time, they're learning about the sport. And then for the sake of those of us who uh, might come to the meeting with a little bit of fly fishing knowledge, if you have any at all, you can offer to help someone who's just starting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In some cases, I find it uh, advantageous to have someone who is early in their fly fishing career teaching someone else because they're willing to suffer through the pains of learning Mm -hmm. together. Yep. What do you think is the biggest uh, struggle with the uh, organization or the biggest challenge? Um, Well, I think that it's become so large as an organization that there are, is a necessary, uh, it is necessary for there to be a, a headquarters element. And that headquarters element has huge responsibilities for uh, major fundraising and for uh, reporting as a nonprofit to uh, the IRS and to state organizations. And I mean, it's it's just a huge, huge, uh, I'm going to call it a bureaucratic responsibility. It's at least administrative. And for the organization, as it has grown, it has become a real challenge, I think. There are... 8,000 veterans, 4,000 volunteers, and there's, I think now there may be as many as 10 employees in the headquarters operation. Mm. Uh, So I think they're shoveling as fast as they can to keep up, and I think they do an extraordinary job, but I think that would be the biggest challenge for me if I was in in that level of the organization would be trying to manage that gotcha. on the ground in our in our place here in Portland uh, Oregon where we have a, one of the 200 programs in the nation I think uh, you know if there's a challenge at all it's uh, managing the kindness of the community because we receive all sorts of wonderful donations of uh, in-kind items um, speaking as a nonprofit, in kind is uh, non monetary. And so, um, fly tying materials, time, um, fly fishing equipment, all of those wonderful things are donated to us to support the program. And we're grateful for any of that kind of support, but managing that is a challenge. It's not as much of a challenge, I'm going to suggest this, not as much of a challenge to sit down with a veteran and teach them to fly fish because they came to us for a purpose, and we're going to do that. It fits so nicely. And as I said, it's a benefit to the volunteer as well as to the veteran to sit down and do those kind of things. So it's uh, pretty symbiotic. Mm-hmm. That, that part of it works wonderfully well. Who's um, who's leading the, I mean, who is the person that is at the top right now uh, running this entire uh, program or organization? Okay. Uh, his name is Todd DeGrossier, and please don't ask me to spell it, although <laughs> it's, out, it's out there on the website. And, so, and, and he is, um, I think he's two or three years into uh, his term as the uh, chief executive officer, and uh, there is a board of directors who sits behind him uh, to, uh, as his employer and directing the activities of the organization in, a, in the broadest sense. Um, but he is he's the name and face of the organization for a lot of what we do. Um, and then, as I said, there's eight or ten others who work with him in La Plata, Maryland, mm. to do the 
the high level fundraising and organizing. Um, you know, you said something earlier that I'm gonna, I wanted to get back to, and it involves that. At the national level, they do raise a, a lot of money to support some really cool things that they can do for individual programs uh, on a national level. Uh, for example, there are 40 trips on the calendar for this calendar year for uh, individuals who are eligible for the program. And those 40 trips uh, take folks all over the country to incredible fishing destinations. Um, and so individuals who are here in the Northwest and who meet the requirements and express an interest in joining one of these trips can be nominated and selected to go, uh, and I'm going to suggest all over the country. There are mm -hmm. just incredible opportunities. We've sent, uh, well, in fact, Mark went to Alaska oh, cool. um, just, just over a year ago, uh -huh. and we sent another individual to uh, Montana uh, just this past September uh, for trips. And when they come back from these trips, they talk about uh, – they couldn't have purchased it because they wouldn't have been able to afford it, and they wouldn't have, they couldn't have anticipated the level of service that was provided to them. The, uh, the beyond the boats on the water and the guides and all of that kind of support, uh, just the luxurious accommodations and the meeting of every need. Uh, it's extraordinary, and so those are things that happen at the national level that make uh -huh. the program work. Uh, but I'm going to take it a step further. In order to excite interest in the individual programs, the national organization sponsors three competitions every year. Uh, there's a competition, a fly tying competition, a fly casting competition, and a rod building competition. Um, last year was the, whoosh, must have been the fourth or fifth year of the uh, rod building competition, and they built 900 rods nationwide. Wow. Uh, their ambition this year is to double that. Huh. And so we have, in, in our Portland-Vancouver program, we have a class. We'll probably have anywhere from 10 to 15 veterans in the class. They'll each be given all of the equipment that they need and some wonderful instruction uh, actually, Terry Turner, who is the Oregon Council President for Trout Unlimited, teaches the rod building class cool. for us, and he's, he's a wonderful support. Uh, and those 15 folks will build rods, and they will be sent to uh, oh, Pack Bay. Pack Bay is the corporate organization that's supporting us. Mm. They're out of uh, Washington, state of Washington. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's, they'll build those rods and send them in to be judged uh, for the national competition at three different levels. The rod building contest is one that I get most excited about because you get to see some of the real uh, incredible talent that individuals bring to uh, that task. Uh, the casting competition, the first year of the casting competition was last year. And we had a fellow from uh, our program here in Portland, Vancouver, who finished fourth in the national competition. Uh, and to be perfectly honest with you, he is a, still very much a beginning fly fisher. He's been at it, oh, three or four years now. But as a caster, uh, we all know that 
you're always in need of some help to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to improve casting skills. Uh, and he managed very effectively to be fourth in the nation. I think that's pretty cool. Wow. That's neat. Yeah. We have yet to have someone enter the fly tying competition, I think partly because uh, it is so incredibly competitive. But that's actually a very big thing that the national program supports. Mm-hmm. So those things happen at a level above us um, here. And you asked about outings and fishing opportunities. Uh, that's at the highest level. Uh, for individuals who participate in our program, we fish from our program, we fish probably six to eight times a year. And each year it's a little different depending on the schedule and our opportunity to access waters. Uh, But that's not the limit of it. Uh, We also interact with the five other programs, five other Project Healing Waters programs in the state of Oregon. And then the five other programs. I think it's five other programs in the state of Washington. And we share opportunities to fish with each other. So on an op- when the program in Bend, Oregon, for example, uh, sponsors an outing to East Lake, which is a beautiful destination, uh, they invite us to join them. And so a handful of us will make that trip every year to go down there and enjoy the opportunity to fish with them. Hmm. So I- I'm going to suggest that if a veteran wanted to fish as many as so oh, 15 or 20 times a year with the program, they wouldn't have to leave the state of Oregon to do that. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. The original Tyrite is a long-standing accessory loved by fly fishermen for decades. It's an accessory you won't live without once you uh, try it. No more drop flies or hook fingers. If you haven't seen this uh, tool yet, it's pretty simple. It looks like a like a pin, a little ballpoint pin with a retractable clip that allows you to hook, basically hook the bend of your, uh, your fly in so you don't have to worry about fumbling with a tiny little fly or hooking your finger. And you just kind of finish the knot like spinning spaghetti on a fork. Just quickly do your twists and, you know, stick the... Um, the tip it through and you're good to go. All parts are manufactured and assembled in the USA with a 100% lifetime guarantee. And I like to uh, uh, use the example of the uh, tiny little blue winged olive and, you know, in the wintertime. And that's always a good example because, you know, your feet or fingers are cold and sometimes it's hard to hold those little guys. Uh, but the tie right makes this easy, you know, using a size 18 BWO, you'd be using the, the tie right junior and it just makes it a snap. So, uh, just wanted to give a heads up for everyone. This is a great tool from a great company. I'm excited to have them on and want to get you guys to head over to tyrite.com and check it out today. That's ty-rite.com. Ascent Fly Fishing has a special event during the holiday season called Fishmas. You get 25 to 75% off flies during the 12 days of Fishmas starting on December 6th. Just go to ascentflyfishing.com to find out more. I wanted to touch briefly just on Ascent if you haven't heard from them before. They have some really cool products. Um, you can follow them on uh, Facebook or Instagram to get daily deals as we move through the holiday season. But one of their products they have is really cool. It's a uh, basically a, a selection of unique flies that are selected for your unique stream. And what uh, what they're doing over there, it's kind of this, they've got this nerdy database of 
uh, you know, basically what flies are hatching during the season, different water conditions in your in your stream all over the country. So they they're able to select uh, make a selection for you of these patterns that that uh, meet your exact stream at the time when you want to fish it. It's a really cool deal. So check them out um, if you get a chance. It's something that I definitely have my box, and it's got a bunch of cool patterns in it. Um, but just want to remind you again. Uh, to head over to ascentflyfishing.com during the holiday season for this fishmas. This is a big thing, and uh, 25 to 75% off uh, different categories of flies is pretty cool. And uh, again, go to Ascent Fly Fishing. That's A S C E N T flyfishing.com. Okay, back to the show. You mentioned about not being able to afford, you know, the Alaska trips or some of these um, things. I think that's kind of an interesting part of the. The fly fishing, um, you know, the whole uh, experience and how things are changing a little bit because, um, yeah, you can fish in your backyard and have fun. But, you know, there's definitely times where you're thinking, okay, what's the destination trip, you know, I want to get into. And it's expensive, you know, $5,000, $10,000, whatever it costs is uh, is out of reach for a lot of people, you know, including myself, you know, a lot of times. So, um, you know, it's interesting. I'm actually uh, getting ready to do kind of a DIY season where I'm going to hopefully talk to some people about destination and how to DIY it yourself and maybe cut some of the cost. And um, so that's something I'm excited about. But I, I also want to note that at uh, wetflyswing.com slash 50, I'll have all the show notes and links uh, that you talked about here. And I'll, I'll make sure that people can access um, any of these things we're talking about today. Um, so if you had uh, your, uh, uh, and remind me again, the, um, uh, you, you wouldn't spell it, but they, the the last name of the the CEO that's running the show. That's right, uh, Todd DeGrossier. Yeah, Todd. So if you had Todd here next to you and you had to ask him or tell him one thing that you know he could do to help um, your local uh, group, what what would you tell him? Uh, you know, I don't think that there is a. It, it, there's nothing evident to me that I need for him to do for the sake of the program that that is for the veterans who we're serving i'm so impressed by the things that they do at the national level that give us the opportunity to interact beyond our uh, geographic boundaries and so it's exciting for me that they put forward the opportunities for us to do things like go to exciting fly fishing destinations to compete in contests like rod building and fly tying and rod and fly casting, those are all things that I think a national organization needs to do. I think that for his sake, I wouldn't trade places with him. As yes. I suggested, it, it, that is a huge challenge because you've got 200, more than 200 programs, each of them looking to the national organization for those kind of extraordinary opportunities. Uh, mm-hmm. At the same time, at the same time in the local area, we're always eager to have a chance to either interact with the fly fishing clubs in the area uh, or to build our own opportunities to go and fish. Uh, so I, I don't know that I would say that there's a, a challenge that I see for Todd. It might be a better question to ask him, <laughs> what, would, what could we do to make his life better? Right. 
at the national level because yeah. uh, I have to imagine that with 200 of us out here, all of us wanting to have the best opportunity for the veterans who participate in our programs, uh, we probably drive him crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about in? Yeah, you know, that makes sense. He probably would probably say that uh, you know the. Um a big part of it is putting the right people in place where he doesn't have to do as much work, you know, because he's got great people that are, you know, probably better, you know, uh, better than him. It's kind of like the old, um, you know, whatever the stories, uh, Lincoln or whatever, you know, back where, you know, you put people that are smarter than yourself, uh, you know, when you're working with them, that's, that's kind of what you want. So, um, no, it's interesting. Do you have a thinking back on like a story, you know, whether it's from, uh, do you have something that really sticks out of, of something maybe you've been involved with or something you've heard over the years about Project Healing Waters, maybe something that really sums up, you know, what it, what it's all about? Gosh, um, I, I can, <laughs> there's, uh, in 11 years, uh, I've got a book worth of stories to tell. Uh, and I'm, and again, I, I would be cautious because some of what I could tell might reveal, um, Right. enough about a person that you could identify them. But I think that uh, I'm going to reflect on the most recent because I think it's the, uh, at least it's the freshest in my mind. And and I, I don't think we could, in an hour, we couldn't cover anywhere near all the great stories that I could tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not that great a storyteller, so you'd probably shut me off. <laughs> but <laughs> here was an opportunity uh, that came to us uh, more than a year ago uh, unsolicited, completely unsolicited. Uh, the uh, there's a fly club here in the area that decided to shut down. They were uh, unable to continue the business of the fly club for all sorts of good reasons, and it, it happens in life that those things occur. In the course of shutting down, they had to liquidate their assets, and they determined that they would like to contribute to the local Project Healing Waters program through a Trout Unlimited program called the Veterans Service Partnership. And so they donated a large portion, a lot of money, to the Trout Unlimited chapter to support their Veterans Service Partnership. And then the Trout Unlimited chapter offered to the Project Healing Waters program locally that they would, again, unsolicited, provide support for whatever good things that program wanted to do. The program, and as a part of that program, I went back to the Trout Unlimited chapter and proposed that we would take veterans to Montana for a week. And so it took us over a year to organize and prepare for this trip. And we took 19 individuals, 12 veterans, five volunteers, and two spouses to Ennis, Montana for a week, and that was the the week after Labor Day this year. And uh, that trip was extraordinary in so many ways, but the thing that, the highlight for me isn't, well, it doesn't address specifically the therapeutic value for the individual veterans, though I'm gonna get to that in a minute, but it's the kindness and generosity that we receive all along the road on that trip. Uh, we received donated uh, support from river helpers who were affiliated with the Madison Gallatin Trout Unlimited chapter that serves that area of Montana. They provided boats and 
uh, river helpers with us uh, on the Madison River, the Yellowstone River, the Gallatin River, Ennis Lake, Hebgen Lake, all of these famous wow. destinations that, that most of these veterans wouldn't have the opportunity to see and do, and especially with the expertise that was offered to us. Uh, in addition to that, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this not by way of trying to make an advertisement, but the uh, Ennis RV Village, when I called them to say that I wanted to bring four RVs and uh, nine tents to their park, I asked them what it would cost us, and they said they wouldn't charge us. Hmm. And so we had a week's worth of free camping in a beautiful RV park. Cool. That again, unsolicited. I was perfectly willing to pay if it was necessary mm-hmm. to pay. We didn't have to pay. Um, DAV Chapter One in Portland provided us with the truck that we needed to bring our uh, boats and our camp kitchen with us. Um, it, it, the the yeah. support was extraordinary, and and these are all things that we didn't ask for. When people heard about our trip, they asked, "How could they help us?" Yeah. And so, uh, you know, uh, I, I want to reflect on that part of the community that says, unbelievable, the support that we receive without really even asking for it. Uh, I don't post signs. I don't do fundraising efforts. I don't have to. People yeah. come to me and say, I want to help you. Mm. So then you take it a step further. And as I suggested to you, I wanted to get to this. Most of the individuals who were on this trip had never been to Montana and had never fished in waters with names like the Madison River or the Yellowstone River or the Gallatin River or Hebgen Lake or Ennis Lake. And so they had a chance to be in places that they probably won't see again unless they have another of these kind of opportunities and wouldn't have gotten to if it wasn't for the kindness of the folks who were so generous. And each of them went home with wonderful stories of the interactions that happened, some of them about fishing, but some of them about life. Uh, And it was one of those uh, once in a lifetime opportunities, I think, to have 19 very uh, compatible individuals together uh, for the purpose of learning to fly fish, but really enjoying life together. Hmm. That is, that is pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, you guys have a, you know, this is a, this is a strong movement. I mean, that's, you have what uh, I think a lot of people would love to to build that are, you know, getting into, you know, I think about myself, you know, with this podcast, um, you know, I'm trying to do, I've got great ideas. I'm trying to create my own little movement, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a challenge because you got to have something powerful that people want to stand behind and, uh, you know, talking about veterans, whether you're, you know, a veteran or for or against whatever wars, it, it, you know, it's beside the point. And, um, you know, everybody wants to help because it's, you know, I think um, I had Frank Moore on uh, the podcast in episode. Um, what a wonderful guy. Yeah, oh. yeah. Episode 46. It was amazing. I, I had, uh, and he was just a great guy, but it just brings you back how, you know, the people that go through wars, you know, what they give up and, you know, it's the least we can do to, to give back to them. So it's pr- pretty awesome what you guys are doing. Uh, and we certainly, as I said, uh, the benefit goes to the volunteers who support as well, and it is uh, an important part of my life in that respect. Uh, I, you know, I want to take – I know we're getting close to the end here, but uh, there is uh, a, another part of 
uh, the challenges in the program, I'm going to call it challenges, but the, I think the real reward in the program is uh, when I'm confronted by the individual who says, gee, that sounds like a fun thing to do, and I might want to learn to fly fish, but I can't, I <laughs> it's, it's I stand up more straight. I, 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 yeah. want, I want to hear someone say, I can't fly fish. Because there, I can't think of a situation where an individual can't fly fish. No. We have fished with a quadriplegic in the Crooked River, and the only way we could get him to the water was to carry his chair down and put it in the water. Huh. Uh, and that individual had the time of his life. I think we opened doors for him so that now, years later, I, I haven't seen him in a couple of years, because he's so active in other sports that hmm. intrigue him just as much. Uh, and so uh, those kind of exposures, those kind of challenges, I should say, are the kind of thing that really light me up. Yeah. Uh, and I want someone to come to me and say, oh, no, I can't do that. Right. Because there are, there are answers to every question. There are uh, prosthetic implements that make it possible for an individual to tie a fly with one hand. Uh, there are tools that allow an individual who has the use of one hand to cast a fly and play a fish. Uh, these are all things that there is no impediment to participating in the sport. And I would like someone to come to me and say, I can't do that hmm. because I know there are ways that we can help them to participate if they really want to. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's inspiration. I mean, for for everybody who's listening, you know, who doesn't, um, you know, think there's limitations on, you know, what you can do. I think you guys show that there there really isn't. You can do anything. Um, how, how does that, you know, how does that feel when you take somebody out and you're involved in that process of a quadriplegic or whatever other amazing story? You know, what what's that feel like when you're involved in that? When you look back on it. Uh, I, I'm not sure there's a limit to the dimensions that I can answer that question on. But there's a part of me that says, what an extraordinary community it is, fly fishers, that can embrace those kind of challenges and help someone who really needs some kind of help. Uh, that's level one. Level two is for that individual who may be facing questions in their life that are uh, impossible to answer. I can help them to focus on something else. I can help them to be mindful in the moment of something that isn't bothersome, troublesome, isn't swirling in their head and causing them concerns. I can also take that individual who has uh, limited physical capabilities and expose them to uh, some of the wonders of nature and some of the challenges as well that they can face and resolve. Um, again, think of a dimension, and I think there's a way to make that uh, an important part of my life and theirs. Mm -hmm. um, so, Jerry, yeah, I, um, I'm not sure how much time you have here, but I, I have a number of a few d more questions here. Do you have a little more time to... Yeah, 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 I, some of I, uh, I know I, a lot of the shows are uh, between an hour and an hour and a half, but um, I actually do get some guests that call or uh, some people that are listening that, that are wondering why, you know, I always cut it uh, around, you know, an hour and they, they'd love to hear it go on forever. So, but no, I will, uh, we'll get you out of here, but I did have some big questions I still want to touch on. And, and one was um, on the other end, like who, who gets turned down 
or how, how does that process work? <laughs> uh, great question. Uh, it, it, and it is an important question. There are um, the, the Project Healing Waters program. I don't want to stumble over this, but I want to say it correctly. Project Healing Waters is clearly for service connected disabled veterans. So many veterans serve and come home and do not have identifiable service connected disabilities. Those individuals aren't eligible for Project Healing Waters. Now, having said that, it sounds like there's no opportunity, but I can name for you, oh gosh, I've got six here in front of me that I wrote down before the program started, and those six are just the tip of the iceberg. Programs that provide support and services to veterans in the area of fishing alone. In fact, if you go online and Google veterans fly fishing, <laughs> I don't think you can get to the end of the pages that will come to you uh, as a part of programs that exist out there for veterans. I'm going to offer an example of one because I am active in Trout Unlimited as well as uh, Project Healing Waters, mm -hmm. and Trout Unlimited has a veterans service partnership. Mm -hmm. That program is designed for all veterans, spouses, and children. So if a veteran comes to Project Healing Waters and we find it that they're not eligible for the services that we provide, I very freely turn them to the Trout Unlimited Veteran Services Partnership so that they can have similar services and uh, learn the same kind of things. Uh, so and, and that's easy for me because it's, you know, it, I'm... I'm not one and the same, but I'm in the two organizations and can access both of their supports. But uh, that is, that's not the only opportunity. There are, I think there are literally thousands out there who are providing the kinds of things that would help someone in their life. Um, being a veteran and not being service connected doesn't mean that you don't have challenges in your life. And I think that uh, certainly, it's been clear to me for a long time that veterans aren't the only individuals who gain a therapeutic value from something like fly fishing. And so uh, if for the person who comes to us and is a veteran but not service-connected disabled or is not a veteran but would like to be a part of the program, we want to welcome them or to send them to someone who can provide them with the same kind of support and services. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so there's no, you guys are yeah. Even if you uh, if you can't serve them necessarily, you've got the connections, and that's pretty good to hear. Are there other groups other than TU? Are they? It sounds like maybe they're one of your the bigger uh, groups you are connected with. Are there other groups out there you you work with or affiliated some way to uh, Project Healing Waters? Yeah, I'm going to come around to an answer for you in just a second. Uh, each of the 200 plus individual programs around the country are sponsored by a local chapter of Trout Unlimited or a club of the Federation of Fly Fishers. Or, no, I guess they're called the Fly, Fly Fishing Fisher International. International. Yeah. Um, they're, they're sponsors. There's, there are also a couple of programs that are sponsored by uh, non-affiliated fly fishing clubs across the country. But each of them connect to the fly fishing community by having a local sponsor 
uh, for support. And they, those individuals sign a memorandum of agreement, and it all has to be a very official kind of thing. But at the same time, uh, the other programs then that extend beyond uh, Project Healing Waters, there's, uh, well, uh, <laughs> Rivers of Recovery, Warriors in the Quiet Waters, mm-hmm. Heroes on the Water, uh, Eagle Rock Camp, Freedom Ranch, uh, Oh, gosh, there's a wonderful program in uh, Sun River, Idaho, uh, that does great things for veterans as well. Um, I'll think of it after yeah. the call. Well, I can, I can throw right. in a leak later when we talk. Uh. Oh, yes. Uh, and so there are tons of and, – and, and I think, for my sake, it, it, this isn't a competitive world. If another program pops up and wants to help veterans, I'm going to put my arm around them and thank them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like I feel there's enough – service for veterans. As long as there's uh, a need for service for veterans, there's always going to be new programs that pop up. Uh, There are programs that go beyond fly fishing. I know the focus of this call is fly fishing and veterans, but uh, there are programs beyond that, including Team River Runner, which does whitewater rafting. Um, Oh gosh, there's just all kinds of wonderful organizations that do incredible things um, DAV sponsors a winter sports clinic for disabled veterans um, so that uh, veterans have opportunities to develop uh, recreational outlets in their life that are therapeutic because of these programs. Yeah. Okay. I can't imagine, I can't imagine in the life of a veteran that there's an excuse for them to sit on the couch and watch TV unless it's a really good TV program. Right. There's, there's so many other cool things going on out there. Yeah, yeah. There's no excuses, I don't think. I think that's you just gotta just gotta get up and do it. There's plenty of programs, and that's one of the cool things about you know where fly fishing is going is that there's lots of movements around to try to get more people out there in the water. And I think anybody that looks at it knows that it's going to be a better, you know, we're going to be better off if we have more people fly fishing. It's going to be a, a better place to to live, a better a better world, I, I think. But um, yeah. so, do you guys have any looking at the program? I mean, obviously, these are um, kind of U.S. veterans and things like that. But is there a, any talk of more of a international or doing things, maybe trips outside, or, or is this? Are you guys staying tight on the the kind of the the U.S. based um, programs? For the most part. The uh, that's left at the national level to resolve, uh, especially crossing international boundaries. But there are uh, a few of those 40 trips that were described earlier in the call are uh, outside the country. There is uh, one trip uh, that goes to Norway. Yeah. What about (laughs) a what about a, um, you know, a guy in, um, you know, Australia that, uh, you know, listens to this program? And, um, you know, and he's, a injured, uh, a veteran, uh, do you guys have any, what, what, any words of advice to, to somebody like that? Oh yeah. I, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, I keep forgetting that you probably do have an audience that extends beyond the continental or that by the, we, the we do. I, I think a, a bulk is in North America, but yeah, there's people all around the world that, that listen. So, uh, yeah, for someone there, uh, you know, my first suggestion, Australia being the example, I know that Australia has a parallel organization, Project Healing oh, Waters. Cool. I can't off the top of my head come up with the name of it. But nice. again, uh, you know, search your browser. I don't think you'd have any problem finding an Australian organization that parallels what Project Healing Waters does. 
Uh, and that's true as well in Canada and Great Britain. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess those are the ones that I've heard Big about. Ones, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. there, there, was a, there was a time when Project Healing Waters had an active program in Germany, but extending beyond the boundaries of uh, the United States is it's not an impossible challenge, but it's a little bit of a challenge for a nonprofit that's sanctioned in the United States. To be worldwide expands their administrative requirements. Sure. Uh, and that's one of the challenges. And the other challenge is that in an organization that extends to Germany, uh, there is a turnover and a the difficulty of keeping that staff supported from the national headquarters because of just because of the time difference, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it, Project Healing Waters doesn't have um, much of a national presence, but there are parallel organizations all over the world. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll see if I can dig up a few of those, at least for the Australian, uh, uh find a link there and put in the show notes. Like I mentioned earlier, wetflyswing.com slash 50. Um, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, I don't I don't always get all the links, but I'll try to put them in there. Um, cool. Well, let's see. I, uh, so I'm yeah. I'm going to interrupt you, Dave, for a yeah, second. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, the, the challenge for you and the challenge for all of us, really, is that there is an ever-expanding universe of support programs, not just for veterans, but for veterans in, in that world. And uh, I, 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 just as I like to have someone challenge me with the, the statement that they can't fly fish, I don't think you can ever put your arms around all the wonderful programs that exist to support veterans in mm. the world. There you go. I didn't realize. And I, I'm that, happy yeah. to say that. I'm very proud to say that. That's cool. So you guys are just uh, well, and I mean, I think you guys are leading the way and and helping. Uh, you know, obviously, like we talked, the movement and uh, and but yeah, regardless of what you guys do, you know, where your boundaries are and stuff and your borders, you're 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 influencing worldwide. So uh, that's that's pretty cool too. Um, I hope that's true. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see here. What else we got? Um, I, I had a couple of big ones I just wanted to touch on here before sure. I let you get out here. Actually, one is not a big one, but I always like to ask on flies. Do you have a uh, your go-to uh, couple of patterns you use? Whether I'm not even sure which species you focus on mostly, but um, you know, if you're trying to get that first um, veteran into his fish, what, what do you put on there? Um, <laughs> uh, I am uh, a poor... I don't even know if I qualify as poor as a fly tire. I tell people that because uh, I work with individuals who are extraordinary fly tires and who teach veterans to tie flies, that I sweep up the ones that hit the floor and I put those in my box. Uh, <laughs> that, that way I don't have to tie. But uh, yeah. I have had uh, my most good fortune teaching to swing a soft hackle. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm not sure why that is something that comes more natural to me. Uh, but I'm very confident when I put a soft tackle in the water that I can catch a fish. And I'm pretty sure I can teach someone else how to do that yeah. without uh, having to go into um, explaining dead drift and, uh, and ending the line and all that other stuff. Yeah, you can skate a, a soft tackle pretty easily and catch a fish. So uh, as a learner... Uh, and I don't know why that comes easy to me. There are others who find that difficult or at least not. Uh, yeah. as, um, but but I it works for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – well, and the cool thing about that is if you can do that, then you can put on a steelhead fly and swing them up for steelhead too. 
Right, right. Now, be, if being here in uh, Portland and having uh, access to great trout waters all around us, we focus for the most part on trout in the program. Uh, and the reason is that that's easy. Uh, we are supposed to be teaching the fundamentals of fly fishing, not uh, not taking it to the highest levels. If you get to that point, we hope you move on to organizations that can even do a better job of teaching those mm. more sophisticated techniques. But there is enough of a energy within the group that you can't hardly limit them to trout. And so we've expanded into bass, and we've got a couple of... Uh, steelhead and salmon fishers out there now who are uh, getting into those kind of things. And as I suggested, as a, I mean, I still consider myself very much a beginner, uh, even though I've been at it now for 27 years, there's so much more for me to learn. But uh, we open ourselves to different techniques that are available to us here in Oregon. Uh, the programs in Florida, they fish the flats. They're fishing yep. for different fish entirely. Yep. So uh, if there's a particular interest that someone has, and, and I'm going to invite this, I don't know, I don't think the national organization has any issue with me doing this, but if, if you're going to travel to an area and you want to fish there and you're a disabled veteran, contact that Project Healing Waters program and ask them. They'll tell you where the fish are. Mm -hmm. They'll probably tell you the fish's first name. <laughs> uh, they're, they're happy to have you there and happy to help you with that sort of thing. Um, it's been my experience that uh, I have traveled around the country a few times. And, uh, yeah, I picked up the phone or I sent an email or I texted someone and said, gee, I'm going to be in the area and I'm interested in knowing more about your Project Healing Waters program and where to fish. And the result was I got an invitation to go fishing with them. That wasn't what I intended. I really was just hoping to get good information so I could get to the water, but they said, no, come on, let's go. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, I, I think that that's the, maybe another one of those uh, unexpected benefits of a program like this is that it's nationwide and you really can reach out. Mm -hmm. find, find your local group. How do you uh, measure success of a, of a um, you know, I guess the program or a student, um, when you, when you go through and I was thinking about the fundamentals, you guys teach the fundamentals. Maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, you know maybe an example of, of teaching the fundamentals, like take us to, to somebody who's brand new and how you guys do it. And then, and then talk about success. Sure. Sure. Um, and, and you know, success, success metrics are, um, gosh, I, I could get too deep into that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a retired federal employee, and we, we studied success metrics for years and years and years, uh, and I don't want to burden you with that. Mm -hmm. There is a simple way to measure success, and I'm going to get to that. Mm -hmm. uh, for the individual who walks in the door, and uh, it, it, we try very hard here not to structure our training so that an individual has to come in the door with prerequisites or has to meet certain requirements in order to sit through a class. Instead, we sit in a room. In fact, we sit in the lobby of the auditorium at the Portland VA, for example. That's one of the five places we go every month. Uh, and as we sit there, an individual walks in the door. We ask them, do you fish? Have you ever fly fished? Do you have an interest in any of this? Would you like to tie a fly? And 
we sit them down with one of our skilled fly tires and begin with the same kind of thing that every one of us ever began with tying a fly. We're tying woolly buggers and woolly worms and simply getting them to wrap thread around that hook and put a little uh, fur and, and feather on it and make it into a fly. So we start at the, the very basic part of it. And soon, it, it certainly doesn't take more than, I would guess, half hour or 45 minutes, we discover how much skill that individual has. And we're prepared then to teach them at whatever level they're ready for. Um, I, you know, I, can, I can admit to you honestly that we haven't tied any Atlantic salmon flies <laughs> in our program. Uh, if someone shows up at our program with those kind of skills, we generally refer them to someone with a yeah. higher level of skill than we have. But we start them with the simplest. Uh, when we take a group of veterans out to fish, our, um, our effort is to teach them the fundamentals of casting and knot tying, which are other things that we can teach in our workshops. Uh, and so that when they get to the water, they're not trying to learn the simplest of skills before they can fish. But one of the things that we've discovered is that uh, for the person who thinks that fly fishing is so sophisticated that they can't learn it, it takes all of about, oh, I guess 15, 20 minutes for even the most challenged individual to learn to put a fly on the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may not be the prettiest cast. It may not be... Uh, technically the best presentation of the fly, but we can put someone on the water and have them fishing in a very short time. Now, hopefully we give them enough of those skills and the equipment necessary to make that possible so that they can also catch a fish in the process. But uh, I, I don't like to burden an individual who's starting with having to have the highest level of skills I remember back to when I was casting that $19 Shakespeare onto a city pond. It was pretty ugly, mm-hmm. but had fun doing it, and I got better at it over time, and I think that's what learning is about, is having fun and getting better at something. Yeah. And so, uh, so w- looking for a starting point with an individual who comes through the door, getting back to your question, looking to that starting point, I think it has to be individualized and it has to be tailored to their needs. And so we try very hard to make it possible for that person to develop the minimum skills necessary. And then there comes a time when we may have a group of veterans who express an interest in learning how to uh, marry wings on a fly. And we'll bring in an instructor who can do those kind of things, teach that class. But until we identify a a segment of our population, whether it's two or three or 10, uh, we don't bring those kind of tr- uh, trainings into the workshops sure. simply, because, simply because we don't want someone to walk in the door with no skill at all and make them feel like overwhelmed. They, yeah, they can't do it. That's yeah. that. Would be wrong. Okay. So then, so then when you, when you talk about, you know, measuring success, there's, Uh, Any number of good ways to measure success, but I think the best way for me, and I've always felt this about this program, is if they walk out the door at the end of a workshop or walk away from a fly fishing outing and they look like they've swallowed a coat hanger, I know we won. (laughs) And all the rest of it is not important. None of the rest of it is important. And so, uh, you know, is it 
sheerly sheer the number of veterans who participate? Is it the uh, amount of donations that have been received? Is it the administrative support that we get from the national organization? All of those things are part of what we do. But the real success measure is that person going home with a smile on their face. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, one one person at a time. It's um, as you were talking about the um, instruction, and I guess do you guys look at um, if you look at the you know around the country, uh, do you have trained like FF certified uh, instructors guides that are helping, or is it sounds like maybe that's something that you bring in at a later point, and most of the initial stuff is people that are kind of you know, have fly fish, but maybe aren't the, the trained professionals. Oh, um, gosh, I didn't mean to mislead you. Uh, when we uh, affiliate with a group like uh, our Trout Unlimited chapter, the Tualatin Valley Trout Unlimited chapter in particular is the one that is our um, sponsor here in the area. We access their community of fly fishers. And among them are a couple of very renowned uh, fly tires, uh, some that you'll see at the Northwest Fly Tires uh, Expo, or you might see at the uh, Fly Tires Rendezvous that's coming up here in November. Uh, those individuals come to our classes and they teach the beginners to do the beginning things. They can also teach things. Gosh, I know of one individual who I'm sure could teach Atlantic salmon fly tying if someone really wanted it, but we don't like to to get to that level of sophistication because it kind of takes away from that teaching fundamentals thing that uh, we do. So we have uh, lots of skilled tires, for example, and some very skilled fishermen who help us from the moment we start. Um, I, <laughs> I'm a poor example of that because just as I suggest, I'm not the best of fly tires and uh, I, I skate soft tackles because that's easy. Um, but uh, I, uh, suggest to you that some of the people that we fish with would uh, you'd be proud to fish with and you'd learn from them as well hmm. nice all right well i've uh you know like as always i could keep going here but i'm, I'm gonna cut it off and just uh ask uh kind of one final question here is in the next um you know six to twelve months anything uh, we can look for for from project healing waters anything new to expect from you know you or the organization uh, I, I think that uh, it's it's hard for us to look into that future without knowing how many veterans or what the challenges would be as we face them uh, coming in the door. But it's our hope that we'll be able to expand the um, travel, like the trip to Montana. That trip to Montana was the first time we've left Oregon mm -hmm. with our resources to fish. And we learned a number of wonderful lessons from that, especially that there is support beyond our borders that uh, can make these events very, very successful. So I'm, I'm expecting that we may do, uh, in the next two years, we'll probably do another trip like that. And at the same time, I'd like to see the interaction between the groups that are here in Oregon uh, grow uh, it's not for lack of trying, really, but I'd like there to be a um, – I'd like to facilitate it in a way that makes it more successful. That is, uh, when the Salem program sponsors an event that the Portland program knows about it and can interact with them, when they need support to be more successful, we can reach out and help them so that they can be more successful. I think there's strength in those kind of numbers that we can't otherwise get. Uh, there are uh, – I'm sure there are – 
donated. I, I have a box of donated materials in my car right now hmm. that I'm perfectly willing to send to uh, any of the fly clubs in the Oregon area that would like them for veterans programs. Uh, I'm just waiting to hear back. But those kind of interactions should be facilitated in a way that works better so that the donor's intent is met and so veterans get served. Hmm. Uh, so those are the kind of things that I hope to see grow over the course of the next six months, maybe even as far out as two years. Uh, if you're looking forward to something, I think what I would say to look forward to is that any veteran who comes to us with an interest in learning to fly fish is going to come away happier and a little better fly fisher in the process. Great, great. Yeah, there's no uh, uh, no limitation on the amount of uh, ways to get involved in it. I know I was just kind of looking back at episode uh, 25. I interviewed Tim Camisa, and he wasn't even thinking about it, but he brought up the fact that um, – He's got a big YouTube following online for fly tying, but um, he does a thing for Project Healing Waters every year back in the on the East Coast where he raises money. And, you know, I think that was one thing that he was surprised by when he first did it is the amount of support. He was just kind of threw it out there and the amount of support and, and uh, pr- uh, you know, rods and things that came into him just for donations. So, um, yeah, like, like you said, there's a local organization near you. So... I'll put a few uh, links in the show notes. And if they want to find just the, the, the main website, again, it's projecthealingwaters.org. Yes. All right. And from that website, from that website, you can access uh, any one of the programs that are out there. All 200 of them are listed and they give contact information for them all. Okay. All right, Jerry. Well, that's, uh, I guess we'll leave it there. And uh, just wanted to thank you again for, um, you know, coming on and taking some time to talk about this and share your experiences and the program and, you know, obviously, I think we dug into a little bit of it. There's probably, uh, you know, a thousand other stories that, uh, you know, we could talk about of these amazing things. But I'll just leave it up to the people that are out there that are listening now that want to get involved. They, they can do it and, you know, either, um, you know, show support or, or however they want to do it. It's, it's easy to get going. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks again. Well, and Dave, I'm going to offer this. Uh, I'm not afraid to do this because I love the program. Um, my contact information, easiest way is you, know, you can get to me through Gmail, just my name, J-E-R-R-Y-L-O-R-A-N-G, at gmail.com. I'm happy to try and answer questions and direct someone to the programs near them if they need that kind of help. Uh, the other thing, Dave, is that uh, I should have done this during the call rather than wait till the end, but I hope I've answered your questions well. I certainly uh, appreciate the opportunity to be on this program, and I hope uh, for the sake of anyone who's interested in the program that they do step up and reach out. Great. All right. Well, I'm sure uh, you'll be hearing from a few people um, after this episode, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to keeping in touch with you and, and talk to you soon. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Dave. All right. See ya. All right. Bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 50. And please head over to the Facebook group where we are continuing the conversation. Go to wetflyswing.com slash Facebook to join the tribe and keep uh, the conversation going. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to connect with you on the river or online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.